Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 231, Now What? Presented by Steve Segedy, Christopher Bedell, Mark Richardson, and Kat Tobin. Yeah, we'll, we'll pass them around. It is already a minute after 12, but uh, I know that other people's games are ending right at 12, so we'll stall for a couple minutes. But until then, I'm going to talk about the emails that we sent each other before this went live, which was, do we want to prepare a bunch of things? And then we realized all four of us could probably talk by ourselves for this entire hour about how to finish a game and get it out and make it into product stuff. And so instead of that, we wanted to know what you specifically want from us. Um, so we are definitely going to be taking questions. And if you guys all sit on your hands and don't ask questions, we'll make stuff up. That's fine. That's not a problem. Um, no pressure. But if you have specific questions, we want to make sure you don't leave this panel without those questions answered. So we'll come back around to you in a couple minutes. Um, how much stalling do we want to do? Mm. People are still kind of arriving. They so are. Yeah. There are. There's some stalling. Maybe we'll, we'll give, for we'll like give one more minute. One or two more minutes, and then we will get started. Um, but I wanted to give you that warning. Mm-hmm. Is there anything interesting yet so far at the show? Did you have any like morning panel? Yeah, I, I was just I just moved from that seat. Oh, what was the what was the panel about? Uh, owning your game. <laughs> owning your pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I was like. The, that panel's over. We're not talking about that panel. Like, anymore. It's gone. It's like, I can't remember. It was, yeah. it was, no, it was awesome. People like so many people really generously came up and pitched. Oh, great! Their games. Excellent. And, we and then you them made apart. fun of their pitches. Yeah. 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 It was it was uh, J- James McClure's? Uh, you know, we're 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 going to be we're going to try to be constructive. Yeah. And very honest. You know. I have to say that'd be pretty nerve wracking. I hate pitching things. Like, yeah. and it takes so long Me to get too. it right. You know, yeah. and it, like you eventually like the yeah, worst thing is you go to. You're, you're giving that pitch all day and you finally get it good by the end of the day but you're like everybody that came before me has no idea what I talked about you know right yeah do you mean like an elevator pitch at a booth or do you mean a pitch to publishers both, both. yeah that was kind of some people most people were pitching to publishers but yeah. there was one person who wanted help with the convention pitch yep. um, but a lot of the it's a lot of the same mm. it's just how, how much of it you do how much right, of yeah. you do yeah I think a, a worthwhile panel is what's the difference between a pitch to a publisher and a pitch to a customer. Yeah. Like, is that, there's a lot of, like, nuance there. Yeah. You want to get started? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Sure, sure. All right. The stalling. The stalling has come to an end. Um, greetings. Welcome to a panel uh, that is entitled, uh, like, how now, you, now what? Now what? That's right. That's <laughs> the, uh, like, how do you finish this? Something like that. But yeah, it's the, so you have a, you have a game. What are you, what are you doing with it? Uh, and uh, we are, um, interested in questions from you from everything from like, how do you find a publisher to, to how do you publish the thing to how do you fulfill and distribute the thing? Like any of those steps of the process, uh, you've got a, a fantastic array of people up here that can answer those questions, and I'm also here. Uh, so it will it'll work out. Um, we're going to go down the line and introduce ourselves so you know who we are, and then we'll talk more from you guys, too. Cool. 
Um, my name is Kat Tilburn, and I'm the Managing Director and Co-Owner of Pelgrane Press. We publish tabletop role-playing games, uh, mostly using the Gumshoe investigative system. Uh, but we also do 13th Age, which is a D20 fantasy game. My name is Christopher Bedell. I own a company called Greater Than Games. We make a bunch of games of different sorts, uh, and I am part of that process. What games do you make? I make a game called Sentinels of the Multiverse, I make another game called Spirit Island, and I make a bunch of other games that aren't as huge as those two but still do very well, like Laser Riders and Fate of the Elder Gods and uh, a bunch of things. We, we've got a couple dozen titles at this point, so. Yeah, we're great. So I'm Steve Segetti uh, with Bully Pulpit Games, and uh, we're most well known for doing Fiasco. Uh, we've been doing this. Uh, my partner is Jason Morningstar. We've been doing it for about 12 years, and we started out probably like most of you are starting out or have are thinking about starting out where we had a game idea and we thought, who in the world will want this? And let's try publishing, let's print 100 of them. And if we, if we have to throw them in the trash, that's fine. That's not a big investment. And we sold that 100, and we were like, oh, crap. Now what do we do? <laughs> so that's sort of what I'm here to talk about, like how we got from there to where we are now and what steps we can help you with. I got one here. I have my own mic. Um, my name is Mark Richardson from Green Hat Designs. Uh, I am a, I think, the smaller of small press on this table. Um, so I, I wrote and constructed my own RPG called Headspace. I ran a, you know, I guess a indie level successful Kickstarter for about 26, 30,000 Canadian. Uh, so like 20 bucks American. And, uh, you know, I, I, I published it, printed it. Uh, distributed, had crying stories along the way, um, and I've learned a lot from that process. Um, I would do many things differently. Um, but you were you were the you were the person at this table who's like the everyman, having gone through this by yourself. Yeah, like I, yeah. you know, I mean, I hired other people to do writing and things like this for me. But at the end of the day, it was me managing the print, me managing the art, me managing. Like I didn't have anybody working for me. You know, like you just, it sounds like you have a lot of people working for you, and that's why I have a business card. (laughs) Sorry, we laugh because this industry is much smaller than anyone really realizes that, like, the big giant companies of this industry, there are like a couple of, of outliers, but beyond that, it's, it's not that big, and there's not that much, uh, Going on because there's because everything could be done by a person, but also there is um, this is this is a, this is a, a niche industry within a niche industry that we are we are a barnacle on the side of the entertainment industry. Uh, board games, card games, tabletop games, role playing games um, is a, is a niche within a niche, and so um, that that arena within that arena, there's a lot going on, and it's very big um, from that perspective. But from the larger perspective of the industry, entertainment industry, you talk, you talk about like novels that hit bestseller lists. Or you know albums that come out that are popular, or movies that come out that are popular. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars and copies of things. And you're talking about the, like the top successful game of a particular year. And you're talking about like oh they might have printed fifty thousand copies in a year, maybe. And that's excessive in many cases. Yeah, I mean I think the statistic is something like the entire role-playing game industry, like everything you've ever seen, is something like thirty-five to fifty million a year or something like that. You know, whereas the board game, card game industry is like closer to about like 800 million or a billion. So when people look at those things, like we're niche of niche, you know, <laughs> the public, the printing presses, unless you have done other things, have no idea who you are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say we do a show of hands. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just a quick by show of hands, have you, have you designed a game 
that you were interested in getting published or getting out into the world. Okay. okay, there we go. I was like, all right. Hands you go up. Yeah. <laughs> so what kinds of things are you interested in hearing about? Um, what, what's the question that's, that's burning? Sure, I mean, are you just say another uh, repeated option? Do it for recording. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I have gone to a bunch of these panels before, and they always say, go to conventions, talk with publishers. How do I talk to a publisher? How do I make contact to a publisher? That's what great. Are, yeah. That's, 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 that's a fantastic question. So, so, how do you, so go to a convention, go talk to a publisher, but how? Um, for, for me, if you want to talk to my company, we have a section on our website that says, hey, if you want to pitch us a game, here are the steps to do it. You email this person, if it's this kind of game, or this person is that kind of game, and you talk to us here, and we'll try to meet up with you um, in, in various ways. But like m uh, most companies that are looking to publish games from outside designers, have or should have on their website some sort of method that they are asking you to contact them. And that's a great place to start. The other thing is when you say go to conventions and talk to publishers, go to a convention, go to a booth where a publisher is showing off their stuff, walk up to them and be like, hi, who do I talk to here? I don't assume that the person you've walked up to is the right person to talk to, because almost certainly it isn't. Um, but who do I talk to here about wanting to pitch you guys a game? Because most publishers that are looking to take uh, pitch, pitches from outside designers are looking, are, are there at the show to get that. They, they want that thing. Um, and so asking them, who do I talk to about this? Like, you just go right up to them because every company is going to do it slightly differently. Every company is going to have their own process and it's always going to be arcane and it's going to be really subjective and it's going to be just as awkward for them as it is for you. <laughs> so. so just ask. Just ask, yeah. Right. We can do that. Yeah. The, the part I would add to that is that um, Bully Pulpit's a small team, so we're not generally actively looking for submissions, but we're always interested in talking to you about it. We have just an open contact form on our site, and if you write and say, hey, I've got a game idea, what do I do with it? I will probably say, that's great. We're probably not going to be interested in publishing it, but I'd like to hear about it, and then maybe I can point you in the right direction. I can give you suggestions, or I can talk, send you to other publishers, or whatever. Yeah. That's not necessarily what every publisher will do, but that's what we do. What site is that? BullyPulpitGames.com. Yeah, so actually, this is a quick thing. Uh, what's your website? Uh, Pell Grain Press. Greater than games? Again, I couldn't understand. Uh, Pell Grain Press, P-E-L-G-R-A-N-E-P-R-E-S-S.com. Yeah. My website is greaterthangames.com. Greenhatdesigns.com. Yeah, and those are all the best place to reach us is on our websites. <laughs> I, I, I didn't catch the third. Greater than games? Greater than games. Green oh. Hat Designs. Green Hat Designs. Green Hat Designs. And then he's Bully Pulpit Games, if you didn't catch that one earlier. If you did, it's still Bully Pulpit Games. You can, you can also come up here after the show, and I'll be happy to give you the card or whatever. Uh, like, I would add to that that um, it's only been kind of, in my experience as, a, as an indie RPG designer, that it's only been fairly recently that some indie art, well, mid-tier indie RPG companies, like, say, Evil Hat, have started to openly solicit for publication other things. That's a fairly recent trend. A lot of times it was like Evil Hats doing Evil Hats thing and they're not going to publish your thing. You know, uh, and so I think that it is a really cool thing that some of these other places are, are doing that, but you know, it, it's also, well I just submitted actually, my, myself and another friend, we just submitted a game for review with Evil Hat. You know, we waited many, many months uh, and then we got a very polite letter from them recently before we came down here saying they, they weren't interested. But they did say some really good things and they mentioned a couple other publishers that might be interested. Like, uh, 
I, I would say a, a good principle of that process is expectations are premeditated resentments. So uh, don't go in expecting anything. I was just going to quickly add to that as well. Um, know what publishers um, would most like your game. So pitch people who are already doing games that are kind of similar to what you're doing. So like for us, we do a lot of, our, our main system is investigative, but we also publish a lot of horror games. So if you had a horror game, we might be a good target for that. If you had a kind of a, a really quirky indie game, then Willy Pumpkin might be a better place for that. So look at, who's doing what kind of games before you pitch publishers. Um, we get a lot of people um, coming up to us at conventions going, I have this game, will you publish it? And it's very clear from the game that they're talking about that they have no idea what our line is like. So know before you go and speak to publishers, first of all, what it is they do and whether they're a good fit for what you're doing. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we, I saw this hand first, so we'll get that question in the back there. Um, from a board game perspective, uh, when you're looking at avenues to take the product from my computer into the world, um, the two, it seems like the two main avenues are Kickstarter or some sort of crowdfunding or pitching to a publisher. And I'm sure there's a thousand reasons to go one way or the other. Can you pick, like, or talk about maybe like the top two, three? things that would be the primary drivers of which avenue to go down? Sure, so the question is, uh, to repeat it, uh, the, when you're making a game, especially a board or card game, um, how to take it from the concept, the idea, the, the, the design that you've done and that you've already put all the work into making the game, you have all the files, then do you go to Kickstarter? Do you go to a publisher? Do you do it yourself? Uh, and I would say do it yourself. Like Kickstarter is a subset of doing it yourself. Uh, I did my first game without Kickstarter, without going to a publisher. I made a company. I sold to 10% of that company off to uh, investors, and I used that money to make a, to build my company and, and make my game and sell my game. Um, and then we did Kickstarters afterwards uh, to keep things rolling. Because the number one question we got at our first convention is, oh, this game is great. Where's the expansion? I'm like, I'm just, I'm just, I just made this. I don't have it. Oh, okay, sure. We'll do a Kickstarter. Um, so anyway, uh, so the first question you have to ask yourself is, what is your intent as a designer? Do you want to be a designer and a publisher, which is two very different hats? Or do you want to be a game designer and you sell to a publisher? Do you want to work with a publisher so they can do all of that stuff? Because if you think of all the publishing stuff as being hard and difficult and annoying and dumb, you're right, it is. But it's also, you have to be interested in the process of doing that stuff to make it worth it. Um, I, at Greater Than Games, we like the process of publishing games, of making all those steps happen. Um, and so that, like, that puts us in a good position to do that. Um, a lot of people are like, you know what, I find that process to be frustrating and annoying, but I w I'm willing to do it myself because I want to have control of the product from beginning to end, um, and that's great too. But this, this is a question of what is your intent? Do you want to take the process all the way home, or do you want to design the game and hand it off to people that are going to do a good job with it, and do the marketing, and do the distribution, and all of the other steps that come out with it? If you want to be in for the long haul, then Doing it yourself, whether, whether on Kickstarter or not on Kickstarter, is a totally legit thing, but understand that you're signing up for a giant thing. Um, I know a lot of people who have made the game, kickstarted it themselves, and then at the end of the Kickstarter process went, huh, and sold their product to a publisher and said, look, here, here's all the Kickstarter money, and here's all the things, and we'll do a royalties thing, but you guys do all the rest of the steps. Um, 
if I now, this year, 2018, had my first game and was looking to make my game, I probably would not do what I did in 2010 of making my own company and doing it all myself because A, there's way more stuff out there. There's things like this show and there's way more resources out there for designers to talk to publishers and to get an in that there were in 2010, which is not that long ago, and yet uh, the, the industry has grown a lot in that time. I would probably go to a publisher because, oh my god, this has been so much work that I love, but still so much work. Um, but uh, but if, you want, if, you're, if you want to do it all yourself, great. Uh, Kickstarter is a great, good way to do it. Um, we can talk about Kickstarter best practices. That's a whole panel uh, about how to do that. We also have another panel coming up at 2 o'clock that I'll be on. You can come talk to us about There you Kickstarter. go. There you go. Um, but yeah, so, my, so it's, it's really, what do you want? Do you want to run the whole thing yourself? Understanding that it's going to be a ton of work, but that you're going to control that work, there's ups and downs to it. Or do you want to make the game, hand it off to a series of professionals that are going to do a good job with it, and you'll still work with them and you'll interface with them. Like, either, there's, there's pros and cons to both, and I think that as a designer, if you want to focus on being a game designer, getting your game in front of a publisher is a pretty, pretty good way to do it. Um, I don't know, I get some other opinions from other folks here. Um, one other consideration that I would say on that is uh, think about audience. Um, mm -hmm. If you are a brand new publisher and nobody knows who you are, brand new designer and nobody knows who you are, you're going to go to Kickstarter and you're not going to succeed right. because Kickstarter is translating social capital and a fan base and audience into money. Yeah. And if you don't have that, you're not going to get any money. The publisher has that audience. They've already been making other games, and so by joining up with them, you're gaining that audience. There are other ways to do that. You can obviously spend the time and the energy to market and build that audience before you go to Kickstarter, but that, that's a consideration. Sorry, I'm going to There are right now 400 games on Kickstarter at any given point in time, 400 plus games on Kickstarter. So when you put a thing on Kickstarter, you have to have some, there's what, why will anyone look at your game? There's got to be an answer. And it can't be just, it's good. Assume that every game on Kickstarter is good. Obviously they are not, but assume they are. Why would anyone look at your game over another game? And so yeah, if you're doing a Kickstarter yourself, spend six to 12 months of work beforehand getting a bunch of people excited about it. Or work with the publisher. Uh, so I, I would say certainly from the person who, who ventured boldly into that foray myself, um, I think like one thing is speaking of that connection to that social capital, like as a lone designer with my first game, I had a very big advantage that sometimes in the RPG designers do not. I was using an established system powered by Apocalypse that people are familiar with. One of the people, a lot of times people are like, why are there so many Powered by Apocalypse games or so many Fate games? It's because if I put a Fate game on Kickstarter, everybody who enjoys Fate can connect instantly to my product. If I make an RPG that's a wholly new standalone system, I'm probably screwed without a publisher because I can't, I, it's based 100% on your ability to sell. Um, I think one thing I would say for doing it alone, at least for Kickstarter, is uh, there was a really good question I got early and it's really hard. What will you do if your Kickstarter doesn't fund? If you're not willing to answer that question honestly, you probably shouldn't do it. Because you need to think about that. It's a reality, it's a possibility, um, and you need to, you know, as a solo person, you're like, what do I do? You know? or, or even beyond, 
uh, doesn't fund, it funds but low enough that it's going to be more pain and more trouble and more expense than it ends up being worth. I mean, for us as a company, we've run a couple of Kickstarters that haven't funded where we had a project that was super ambitious and it just didn't work out and that's fine. And those projects got canned and we didn't make those games. Kickstarter, did it. Kickstarter to me is a very useful tool to know, is there an audience interest in this product? Because I've got you know roughly 2,000 people that if I put a Kickstarter up, those 2,000 people are for sure are going to look at it immediately, regardless of what it is. And if, as a result, I put a Kickstarter up and I get 200 backers out of the 2,000 people that are my immediate reach, beyond even going out into other marketing and stuff, just the people that are already paying attention to what I'm doing, if only 200 people back a thing, that's a really good message to me. Oh, look, this game, which I like enough to have put on Kickstarter, is a thing I probably shouldn't make because if I print five to 10,000 copies of this game and put it in stores and it's getting this amount of turnaround, like, oh man, that's, that's terrible. So yeah, being, being willing to, to let a thing, it, I mean, it's hard, but a game that we've worked a bunch on, that we put a bunch of time and effort into and we did all the art files and everything and we put it up on Kickstarter and then it doesn't fund and we say, oh, okay, this didn't fund, so we're closing it up and we're not making this game. Like, it's heartbreaking, but, but it's a gift. Yeah, yeah, it's way better than having printed the thing. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think everyone's kind of covered what I would have said already. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's, it's basically your appetite for risk, like how much you want to, how much you're willing to kind of risk in terms of your own money and your own time. If you're willing to risk a lot of your own time, then self-publish. Go down the Kickstarter route that way. Um, if you're not willing to invest a lot of your time in, if you don't have that same self-belief, um, if you're not willing to take the risk on doing it yourself, then going down the publisher route is the better option. Um, also, there's the uh, a financial concern as well. There is the, um, the aspect of money. If you work with a publisher, you will probably get like a one-off fee or you'll get a kind of a royalty percentage. You will not get all of the money from your game. If you go down the self-publishing route, it's a lot more work but you, if you have like a, a, an exploding success, you will see all of that. So again, it's, it's as, as Christopher mentioned, it's your own decision how much of a risk you're willing to take with it. If you do it yourself, you get to keep all your losses. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that's a really thing, big thing yeah. to think about. Like I, so just for perspective, I ran what many people in the indie perspective would consider a highly successful first-time designer RPG Kickstarter. I made about 26000 and then another 4500 on the backer kit. Uh, two years later, my project was in the black. Okay, so because I spent money on writing, art assets, and all these things out of my own pocket before I even got to Kickstarter. Because if you're gonna do Kickstarter, you need art for your game, you're gonna need words for your game, you're gonna need things for your game. Um, and the publish, if you're doing the one person of many hats, all those other hats need money to do their job. Uh, and so you have to put down a fair bit. And it, it uh, you know, it's difficult. Do we wanna to go to another question? Yeah, yeah probably, yeah. You're in charge of that. Uh, what are the uh, what are the best resources you would you would uh, recommend for someone foolish enough to want to attempt each of these different? So, what are the best resources for if you want to do self-publishing? How do you how do you get into that? Um, so, one of the things that we didn't really talk about that ties directly into this is 
let's say you do a Kickstarter, you self-publish, you do a Kickstarter, your Kickstarter succeeds, great, you have done the first very small chunk of the giant amount of work that has to be done to make the game. So let's say you've already made all the art files and made all the game design and spent years coming to Metatopia and showing your game off and you're, 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 that, that stuff's all done. Now you've got to print the game, talk to a printer, deal with all that, and then you have to receive the game after it's been printed. It's going to got to ship somewhere and ship out, and then you either have to work with somebody who's doing your shipping and fulfillment, or you have to do your shipping and fulfillment yourself, which, depending on, this, depending on the scale of the project, might be a thing you can do yourself, or might be literally impossible. Um, and so all of those steps are an entire job in of themselves. Um, like each of those steps is, a full, is pretty much a full-time job. Um, and with each of those steps, I, uh, the, like, if you want to run a Kickstarter yourself, the first thing I would do is go look at a bunch of Kickstarters. Go look at what works on Kickstarter and what doesn't work on Kickstarter, and like, really honestly ask, why do these things work or not? There's a bunch of different websites that people have written up, here's what makes a successful Kickstarter. And I would say most of the time those people are at best one-third correct and have a bunch of other things that aren't correct because it's extremely subjective. Uh, I can tell you why certain projects of mine have been successful on Kickstarter, but that is different for every single person and every single project. Uh, the most important thing, the thing that is true across the board, is you need people excited about your product, excited about the campaign you're going to launch before it launches. You need people that are interested in what you're doing regardless of the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is not the place to build interest. If you launch a Kickstarter hoping that the Kickstarter will be advertising, it's too late. Um, it could happen, but it's going to be very rare and very difficult. Um, so yeah, go look at Kickstarters um, and start drumming up support by making a website and having a social media presence and bringing it to conventions and showing it to other people. Uh, word of mouth is, is still part of the best uh, marketing in this industry, uh, given the size of it. And uh, so, so like that's all kind of roll up your sleeves and do it yourself. Beyond then, once you have once you have that done, you need to find a printer for your game. Um, and there's a bunch of really great printers out there. Uh, there's there's Panda. There's, I mean, it depends on the game you're making. If you're making books for an RPG, you need to find a book printer. And there's actually really good book printers within the U.S. Um, the, if you're doing um, if you're doing a board and card game, uh, I do not recommend printing in the United States. We do not have the size of printing press, presses for those sort of components in the U.S. that are available in other countries. There's some good ones in Germany. There's some good ones in Poland. There's some really good ones in China. Um, and it's just the fact of like we don't have the giant printing presses here that they have in those places. So, um, and then you have to find distributors to distribute your games. And the only resource that I know of there is that when I first got started, I was like, okay, I need to find distributors to sell my games to. So I'm just going to Google like board game distributors and look down this list and then email every single one of them and see what happens. And that was not a good process. It was very lengthy and it did not result in a lot of success for me. Over the years, we've had a bunch of distributors come to me, and every time a distributor comes to me, buys games from us, and we have a good relationship with them, I put them on a list on my website, um, and I send people to that list all the time. Greaterthangames.com slash, I think it's retail support. If you go to greaterthangames.com, there's a link that says retail support, because that way stores can go to my website and say, oh, what distributors do they sell for? But I give this list to designers and publishers all the time, like, hey, these are all the or the distributors that I work with, and I like them, and they're really worthwhile, and I've got distributors all over the world that are on that list. If you have a game that you're trying to get in the hands of distributors, go to that list, click on all of their websites, call those people and say, hey, I hear you're a worthwhile game, a game, uh, game distributor. So that's a, that's a decent resource. I think like that, uh, social media and networking are really important resources. It's a very small industry. Most people know each other. It's very easy to come to shows like these, meet publishers, you know, 
step one, meet publishers. Um, meet publishers and talk to them about what they're doing. You know, look at people's, as Christopher mentioned, look at people's websites. Look, we also have the distributors we work with listed on our website. Good, good, yeah. Look at look at other companies' websites, look at what they're doing, look at their social media, look at what they're talking about. Um, go to conventions, talk to people, and ask them how they're doing things. Like most publishers will be really happy to recommend printers to you, to recommend writers or layout people or artists. You know, we all know these people, we all have these resources. So come and uh, ask us yeah. for recommendations. That's, I think that's connecting with people and, and realizing that the best resources are other people is, is a really important part of getting started. Yeah, I was going to say one of your best resources is the seats you're sitting in. I mean, Benitopia is a really good place for you to be meeting and networking with this community. And not just publishers, but you want to find people who can make maps. You want to find people who can do editing and who can do art and who uh, just know things about project management. All of us have day jobs, and almost all of those day jobs are relevant to the work that we do. Um, spreadsheets, uh, computers, all of it is something that gets used. And so there are people who want to do this and making those connections is huge. You probably have a day job. You're gonna to have to keep doing your day job while you do this. So uh, kiss your weeknights goodbye, weekends. So I mean, that's a really realistic thing, is you can only do one thing at once. So if you decide, hey, I'm gonna mail all of my packages, well, then you're going to mail all those packages. You're going to have to buy all of them. You're going to sit in your living room for 12 hours a day. Oh, you can't do that because you work all day. So tonight, after work, after the long day you had, you're going to pack envelopes. And these are the things that you have to accept if you're going to do this as the solo kind of person. I didn't want to do that. So I said, I'm going to I find through these rooms a distributor who, who will take my printed product, assuming it ever actually gets to them, and then they will package it up and mail it for me so I don't have to deal with that because they're very good at getting packages there. The other thing is, the difference between me and a distributor is they have deals on shipping internationally that they negotiate for their larger brand business. For me, the rates are absurd. Uh, and so there's a lot of things you can do with that. Uh, every person that I worked with on my, from my Kickstarter to writing to art to distributing, I hired them based on conversations I had in these rooms at Metatopia. Because I didn't know a lot of people, I, I was like, I'm going to hire somebody I've met, you know, because that's worth a lot, um, and go from there. I would say, like, these, uh, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought. That's right. <laughs> Everybody does the fulfillment out of their living room once, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yep. then you, and then you find another way to do it. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are distributors, big distributors, uh, like ACD, Alliance, uh, GPI, there's a bunch of them in the States, and most of them aren't going to care about you. Uh, you're too small. Uh, if you can get their attention at all, it's, you know, maybe... Well, initially, we reached out to a bunch of different distributors about our games, and they all said no. And then our flagship game, Fiasco, got enough attention through being on tabletop that they started calling us, which is, I think is what you were describing. Yeah. Once that started happening, I could say, oh, okay, well, here's the, here's the deal that I want. Right? I had the power at that point. Um, you're you're going to be lucky if you get a break like that. Uh, until then, your better bet is Indie Press Revolution for role-playing games, because that's they don't really do board games. They will maybe do a card game, but they're best at books. Yeah. Um, and they have existing relationships with lots of retailers and they will get your book out there in, a, in a, at least a small way and provide a place, they're a distributor for people like us. 
Um, you can form relationships directly with, with some retailers. There are not a ton of them that are very sharp about that, but, but there are some. You can also sometimes form a relationship with a retailer uh, to have them be your fulfillment partner, which is what we've done in North Carolina. There's a, a company called Atomic Empire. They are a local friendly game shop, but they also do a lot of online sales. So they have a warehouse and we arrange to put all of our books in their warehouse and I can tell them to ship stuff to people and they'll take care of it. And, and like Mark was describing, they have all the materials that they need to ship. They have all the special deals. And so it's much easier for them than it would ever would, ever would be for me. I would add also, you're going to have to budget the shit out of this. If you go into Kickstarter and you haven't budgeted like the final cost of every book you're doing and how much it's going to cost you, you are deeply screwed. Because like ultimately if you're going, I have a $20 book, okay, like you need to make that book cost you like less than $4 ideally, you know, because otherwise once it hits the distribution chain, if you're even lucky, you, you can only lose money technically at a certain point. It's really hard. And so, like, you are not Wizards of the Coast. You are not printing 10,000 books and will not get a sweet deal with your press. You're, you, if you're really lucky, like, I mean, I was successful enough on Kickstarter that I could do an offset print, but even then, like, I kind of wish I had gone with print on demand in hindsight now because I could have printed as needed. Mm. Um, but also, like, print on demand technology is way better than it was, like, even five years ago. When, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, there's a, a company online which name eludes me right now that um, will make a, a game, your game, and will ship it for you on a one, one base, one at a time. Yeah, are, are you talking about a board game or a, uh, or a, a book? Board game or Yeah, board so, so that's, that's probably Game Crafters who you're thinking of? No, that's garbage. Sorry. Um, sometimes I get real honest. Uh, so the trick with Game Crafter is your unit cost is really bad, um, and also the, everything they do is essentially a craft on demand for board and card game pieces. Sorry, I'm very, like, board and card game components is the, the field that I work in, and the quality of their components is fine if I'm making a prototype for showing to somebody, if I am um, making a prototype for showing off at a convention or pitching to a publisher or something like that. But for a final product that's going on shelves in a store, it's not good enough. The other thing is that you're not going to get the numbers you want out of that. For a board or card game product to be a successful product in the industry, if you make a board or card game on Kickstarter and you print you have, you know, like enough backers, you say, okay, I'm going to print 500 copies of this and make this thing. It's not going to be a thing that exists in the industry for any much longer than fulfilling the Kickstarter, and that's it, unless it becomes like a viral runaway hit. Those numbers, that number of print run, um, nowadays in the industry with so many games coming out and so many games on Kickstarter, so many games on the internet, um, it's, it's almost impossible to get noticed at, that, at those numbers. What you want to do is have a print run that's large enough that, sure, you fulfill your Kickstarter, you get it out to the people that have ordered directly to you, but then you get it on shelves in stores. Um, and both that means brick and mortar stores, but also online stores, and having that sort of visibility. And that's the, that's the, the means by which games get actually noticed and picked up um, and paid attention to by the public and that means that the smallest now the number I'm about to say for what I print isn't necessarily a starting point for everybody you can totally start at 500 games you can totally start at 1,000 games if you have a plan to be like this is our initial foray into the industry and if people like that and I get enough like positive press back from it I can do another print run that can work 
for me where I am now, and even for my very first game ever, the very first product I made was a game called Sentinels of the Multiverse. Uh, I released it at Gen Con 2011. It was a card game, superhero sort of cooperative thing, and we printed 5,000 copies of that and sold out of that print run in three months. Oh my god, 5,000. <laughs> Do you know how many, like, a 5,000 print run of a book would cost? Jeez. Uh, $20,000. Yeah, we started, we, like I said, I started my company by creating an LLC, selling 10% of offs to investors. I sold 10% of my company with nothing produced for $50,000, and I used that to start the company. The vast majority of that was printing the game. I, I just think it's worth pointing out that this is a, a really good case. Like, right. you, you did a really Best great case start. Scenario. <laughs> like I said, when we started, our company started with 100 books, and we, did, we, we printed them at Kinko's, FedEx, whatever you want to call it, and we sold that to basically to a crowd of people in, a, in an indie design community that were sort of predisposed to like what we did. And we said, oh, that, that was pretty good. Let's print 100 more. And we printed 100 more, and those started selling too. And we're like, huh, okay, so this is a thing. But we were very conservative, and we built our audience over a long time because we were really afraid of losing our shirt. We didn't take a big risk right off at the start. Um, now it's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to get connected to a community. But I would say for your first game, don't expect to print 5,000 copies because you probably don't have 5,000 people who care about what you're doing yet. Yeah. I think I, already can, I can already go where you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. If you print 5,000 books, you're just going to have paper furniture in your home. Um, uh, the, it and it, yeah, like I have many friends uh, who have boxes and bo like tables of books, you know? If you print a thousand books and you're taking delivery of them, find a place in your home you're willing to put a thousand books. Because uh, that can be, it's not insignificant. Um, the, uh, like, you, you will eventually probably get to a point where you'll pulp books. Will be like, you'll be like, I have a hundred books left, I can't sell these. Boom. Uh, and and the, it, it's quite different. Are, are there Canadians in here versus Americans? All right, so you're, you're, you're specifically versus Americans is what Mark is asking you. <laughs> Damn it. Um, no, but it was, it's an important point because like taxes are totally different in the U.S. for inventory than they are in Canada. Like in the U.S., you can write off your books when you print them, as I understand them. Like you, like when you print, you can write off your print run cost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't do that in Canada. What you do in Canada is you uh, take that total number of all the things you spent on production and you divide that by number of units, and you're only allowed to write it off when you sell it. Yeah. So if you have 10,000 books sitting in your house, you have $10,000 worth of stock that you can't write off. So to, up. so to talk about risk, because like Kat was saying, the, the act of publishing a game is the act of engaging in high risk, for sure. Um, and the reason that we did such an aggressive nonsense thing in 2010, 2011 when we uh, started the company is because we, first off, had a bit of faith in the game um, and got some investors really excited. That was very, very helpful to us. But the important thing we did, the very first thing we did, um, besides designing the game, um, was establish an LLC and create a company. And I would recommend that every single person who is looking to be a game designer does that thing, whether you're working with a publisher or not. Because for me, like you were saying, we didn't want to. They didn't. They didn't want to lose our shirts. Neither did we. If we had at any point in time, this whole thing had gone belly up and been ruined, we could destroy that LLC and walk away from it. And sure, all the time and effort and money that we put into that was dead. But we personally and our families weren't negatively impacted by it. I'm gonna ask a question. Was that your first game design? 
That was my first game design. Wow. Oh. My so first game design was Sentinels the Multiverse. <laughs> All right. Well, I would Sorry. say, no, no, that's great. I mean, I think that what you're talking about here is, like you said, uh, uh, you're, you're taking a big risk, yes. and it paid off for you. Right. It could have definitely gone the other way, and we expected to go to Gen Con. We brought like 3,000 copies to Gen Con, and we're like, okay, we're going to drive this full truck back, but if we don't try this like serious style, for us, it wasn't worth it. We were like, for us to do this, we need to do it hardcore or not at all. And that's not necessarily the right way to do things, but for us, that was a decision we made, me and my business partner, Paul. And we went and we did this thing, and if it hadn't worked out, we were like, okay, when we got to Gen Con, we didn't have the money in the company bank account to gas up the truck to drive back if we sold no products. And it's fine if it fails. If it fails, we go, ah, that was a fun experiment, and it sucks that it's over, but that's the way it works. And we had planned on that being the case. We'd also written out four different business plans based on expected, best case, worst case, and complete failure. Um, and the, be the thing that happened was better than the best case. So like, oh, um, so like, Nice, but, the, but we had serious plans based on this is likely to go poorly. And if you're going to make a game, whether you're selling it to a, a distributor or a publisher um, or you're publishing yourself, make a company, protect yourself legally so that if things go poorly or if the publisher you're working with decides to like screw with you on some sort of thing. I don't anticipate that in this industry, honestly. Everybody's really cool. But if something goes wrong, you want to be legally protected. And it's not difficult or expensive to create an LLC to create a level of corporate protection for yourself and the work that you're doing. Just as a quick sideline to that, in addition to talking about making a company, you should get familiar with contracts. Um, because if you go to a publisher, you're going to be signing one and you need to understand the terms. Uh, contracts, it's not about a lawsuit. Most of us are not, we're too small to be suing each other. Right. But it's a, a clear agreement between you and whoever you're working with about what's going to happen. You're going to want to make contracts with artists that you hire to do work for you or editors. You're going to want to get contracts from publishers if you're going to work with them, stating clearly what the terms are and, and how everybody's going to work together. I, I would not suggest building capital for for doing this thing. Um, if you were like, okay, I'm gonna put a bunch of money from my day job into a savings account and use it for this project, like, yeah, the, the risk there is very high um, and you're asking for trouble because the likely outcome is that it won't pan out in a way that doesn't cost you more money in the long run, that you're not ended up with, with excess. So if you want to do a thing where like, oh, I'm going to put some rainy day money aside and then use that for that, if anything, have your LLC buy, like get that money from you to where you're, you're paid for it, in a, in a, where, you, where the LLC owes you for it. Um, but regardless, I would look towards either, like Kickstarter's a decent way to, do, to raise capital, but you've got to be able to pay for that back. Um, like Mark was saying, with budgeting out your Kickstarter, Part of the, any of the money that you spent leading up to that Kickstarter should be budgeted in the Kickstarter, Kickstarter paying back the, anything that came out of pocket for you. Um, because certainly you don't want to screw yourself over. You don't want to destroy your financials to do this. This is a fun industry and making games is awesome and playing games is awesome. And nobody should, I see stories all the time about like, oh, this Kickstarter was like bigger than we expected. And then as a result, like I lost my house. I had to double mortgage my house and then I lost my house to this Kickstarter. I'm like, that is the stupidest thing. Don't do that. Don't ruin your life for a cool game that is maybe really great. Like, oh my goodness, it's a game. 
speaking as a person whose career is in games and whose life is about games now for the last eight years, it's a game. Don't let it ruin you. I'm um, sorry, everybody. I still have my thing registered as a personal business. Um, but part of that was a, like a, a cost assessment of what I was doing. Like the vast majority of what I do, like my, I make my money. The money I make in this industry is by making maps for other people. And my liability extension on that is very limited, you know, mostly because I've done all the work and they're paying me. Um, for the RPG side, it was a, I, I viewed it as a controllable risk, but mostly because I was an, a known commodity and I, but I, I would say like in my head, I'm like, if it had gone much higher than 30,000, my income, reported income would be astronomical that year. Um, and I would have been in deep shit. Um, so yeah, in hindsight, you know, but hindsight's not going to help you. So that's why we have, that's the point of this panel. Yeah, I realize. And there's there's also um, much lower risk ways that you can do this. We're talking about Kickstarter. We're talking about you know getting capital into print a board game. You can make a PDF. Yeah. You, know, you can yeah. you can publish games as PDFs or print on demand through Drive Through RPG yeah. or Drive Through Cards. It's sister site. And that is a great way to prototype. It's a great way to test games and see if anybody likes them. Uh, you can build your audience that way uh, at a very low cost. And, and and I would argue that, this is the reason I asked about this, is because usually my advice to people is that your first game is probably terrible. Uh, designing is an iterative thing, you learn as you go. And every good designer I know looks back at their early stuff and hates it, right? So, exceptions. No, no, I hate right? it, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, that's not to say that your game is, I mean, your game is terrible. I'm just saying as a general rule, it's something to consider. So don't go spend $30,000 on your game that you don't have a good reason to think is worth that risk. Um, if you don't have a whole bunch of people who've said, this is awesome, I need to play this right now, you're, you know, then it's worth that investment. I, I want to I speak to my process since it's been brought into the question of like, what the nonsense thing did Christopher do here? <laughs> I had the original the, the, the idea between the time between the idea for my game and the printing of my game was one year. I had the idea for this game in August of 2010. But between August of 2010 and January of 2011, I spent all of my time working on this game, making this game, writing this game because I had a terrible spinal it was spinal injury and I was laid up in bed and couldn't do anything. So I did nothing but this. And by the end of September of 2010, I was doing play tests where each day of the week, probably five days a week, if I'm being realistic, I would play between three and seven games with different sets of people every day, all day, making extensive notes about how things were going. And so I took what is a normal development cycle of games that takes months, if not years, and I did it in a matter of a couple months. And I had this idea, and I did this because I literally could do nothing else, and I wanted to make this thing for myself with no intention to make it a product. And it was at the end of the year that uh, my business partner, Paul, and I were talking about it. He goes, we should become business partners and make this thing. Because before that, it was like, I'm making this game. Okay, that's cool. It's fun. We'll play it. And we, we, enough people were enjoying it. And we were playing with tons and tons of people. Literally hundreds of people played this game in that fall to winter time. And uh, so, like, like I said, it's the regular development cycle compressed extremely. Um, and everybody we were playing with, by the time the, the, of the later playtests, after a month of playtesting, everybody was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And it's wonderful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares? Give me feedback. And they're like, uh, I want more? It's like, okay, great. That's, that's not useful feedback. But it was in that the game was ready. Um, and so that's why in January we established a company. And then we set about looking to get money to be able to make this thing and all that. But before that was done, I had a game that was complete and that without art, with just text and game text and flavor text, people were 
excited about it and they were playing it and they were loving it and they were getting the story of it looking like garbage. My component, my prototypes are terrible looking, but the play of the game was, was standing up to it. And at that point, I started considering maybe making it into a product. And a lot of people start off very early on going, ooh, I want to make a game to sell that game. And that's why the first question that I asked today was, what is your intent? Are you looking to make a game because you really want to play that game and you want that game to exist? Because if so, that is an end unto itself. And you're making a game and playing the game and having fun with it? Great. Maybe you'll publish it down the line if you have enough people who are playing with it and you're interested in that. If you're like, oh, I want to make a product. I want to make a game and I want to sell that game and I want to publish that game so that it makes money. You have a whole different road to hoe. You've been trying to answer your question for a while. Um, we aim to publish a game a game every month. Game so, every month. Yeah, so and 12 per year. Game, your games or games that you've gotten from other designers? Um, so we, like I am a publisher, so I publish other people's games, game designers, so games, basically. Games just yeah, we are, we're a publishing company, so we, we publish a bunch game designers. designers. Yeah, yeah we, we work with a bunch of different designers. We have some people that we work with regularly, but then we have people that just come in and do one game with us, and then we don't work with them. Like Our scale is a little smaller. Um, most of the games that we publish are designed by my partner, Jason. Um, many of them are very small games, uh, p digital PDF type games, because he's the kind of designer who's just constantly coming up with new things. And so we started channeling those through uh, Drip, which is Kickstarter's version of Patreon. Um, so every month we have an audience of people who we are sending games out to, and they're they're giving us a little bit of money for them. They're uh, they're games that we probably couldn't put into a book. Um, we couldn't sell them in a, in a mass market kind of way, but we have a crowd of people who are interested in whatever weird idea he has, and so we put those out. And we try and we make sure they're edited, we make sure they're playable, and we put them out that way. Uh, bigger releases we generally do one to two a year, but we're in the process of scaling up our pipelines and hiring more contractors to try and start getting more out. And so, some of those may be outside designs, not ours. What was the name of the thing again? Oh, uh, drip, 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 D.R.I.P. I don't like the name. But yeah, the, yeah, the um, name's terrible. Yeah. We publish three to six major board slash card type games over the course of a year, and then another that much or slightly more of like expansions or smaller games and things alongside those. Um, when I say major, that can range anywhere from a $30 game to an $80 game. Um, and so we, that, that's what we're doing on a yearly basis. Uh, not to mention keeping all of our back catalog in stock because for the most part, with the exception of a couple of smaller games, um, stuff that we made in 2011, the very, the very first game I ever published is still selling like thousands of copies uh, a quarter, so. Zero. Um, so the, I mean, I'm like the solo operation. I work on a game. It takes probably a couple of years of development, and then I eventually, like, I only did this once. I'm still here, which I guess is just an example of poor decisions in life. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I think one of the things is uh, while you're working on things, like if you're a writer or an artist or whatever, like apply yourself within this industry and work with that industry. Like I'm really good at making maps, so. For the like, I I'm now like the lead cartographer for Seventh C RPG, or I've been that for years now. Uh, so I'm constantly doing things. So in a sense, like my company's publishing things all the time. It's just like I'm a piece of bigger things, um, and I think that's very common in this industry. But that has connected me so much with other designers and publishers, like. Uh, 
you know, you can work on your thing and contribute to others, which is a great way of, of getting to know people and, and finding other people who are like-minded. You say zero. How many maps do you make a year, Mark? Uh, okay, well, <laughs> in my day job, it's 250 to 300 major projects that have subderivative maps, so maybe about 500 to 800. That's my day That's job. That's more than a map a day. Yeah, it's hard. yeah, you don't even I've done things in four hours. Um, but for RPGs, uh, it's very... So over the course of your career, you've made literally thousands of maps. I have so many maps, I don't even... Like, I just throw shit out all the time. <laughs> Mark, Mark makes a very good point, though, which comes back to the resources we were talking about earlier and the networking at Metatopia. If you make yourself available, uh, offer your skills up to other designers and to publishers, that's how you're making those connections. They're going to remember that you you did good work and you showed up on time and you were easy to work with and that's going to make them think, wow, well, next time we need to have a project, let's grab that person. Oh no, they designed a game. Cool, let's, maybe we can publish that game. Uh, the woman who works for us now as our production coordinator, we just did a, our last Kickstarter was her game. It's called Starcrossed. It's a great game. She's a great person. And I knew that we could have a good working relationship at, with her as a licensee because we'd had a good working relationship in our company. Kat, do you want to? We probably have room for one or two more. Questions. Uh, uh, I don't know. You, you were in charge of this. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can. Okay, really simple question. Sure. Um, you guys are publishers, so say best case scenario, I'll show you a game and you're interested. What's a standard rate? Is it twelve percent net sales? Is that like a? There is not a standard rate. Yeah. Is there a standard rate? Nope. Not even remotely. Um, What's there, a minimum then? There is, um, with regard to role-playing games, there was a really, really, really interesting post that uh, Morris did on EN World, uh, where it goes through each of the, the different role-playing companies and the rates that they pay. I would, I would definitely recommend having a look at that. That's a really good way to get a sense of the scale. Um, there used to be a website called Art Pact that told you rates for art. I don't think that exists anymore. Um, but asking artists is a good way, asking artists and writers what um, kind of scales they've got is a good way of getting it. There is no standard range. What was the first reference you said there? E-N World? E-N World. Yeah. E-N yeah. e e World. E-N World. .com, I think. .com, right? I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, my perspective as the person doing the work, value what you do, <laughs> quote, you know, uh, like there's rates within indie, like, like the rate I would do for cartography in my day job is the project rate that I get for an indie project. You know, like they're like, well, doing a poster map is like uh, probably 1500 to 2000 US. And uh, if I was hired to a government to do cartography work, I'd build them 800 a day. So, you know, like it, 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 the, the, your day job, like a career versus this is quite different. And you have to be respectful of that because uh, everything's on a shoestring most of the time. I, I would say like value your work, you know, and ask appropriately. You can always go down. If they go, if they balk, then you can, you can have a conversation under that. Um, also talk to other people and what they've gotten and what they've done. Everybody has a different deal though. Like that's very inconsistent. There's no like common yeah. thing. A lot of it has to do with um, how much work you're asking the publisher to do and how much risk you're asking the publisher to take. So if you come to them with a, a game that you have play tested heavily for a year and it's complete and they don't have to do any work, you've already got your art, everything's done, then your chances of getting a good deal with them are much higher. Yeah. Could you give us like a top end and a low end in general? 
I would say 50, I'm thinking 50% is way too high. 50% is too high. There's, there, no, no. I, so, um, usually, and, and I mean, there's, there's percentages based on like net and gross and all sorts of different things you're going to have. Yeah, maybe 10% is a good, that's a good place to shoot for. I'm in the printing industry and I got a phone call or something like that. So, yeah. There it goes 10 to 14%. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty nice place to be. Uh, the other thing is that, like, if you are a writer for RPGs and your thing is I'm writing for RPGs, more commonly you're going to get paid per word than you will royalties afterwards. And the per word rate ranges from, I mean, I've heard things as low as two or three cents a word. I think that's abysmal. Uh, it's abysmal. That's, uh, that's awful. But, um, sorry, I just like, because oh, I used to no, be a, a writer outside of the RPG industry. I'm like, you can pay way more than that. But um, four cents to like 14 cents is the range that I've heard where 14 is ridiculous and four cents is pretty low, but common. Um, and so I try to pay seven cents a word when I'm paying RPG writers. So Another thing that affects it is uh, rights. Who holds the rights? So if the if the company is buying the rights to the thing, they're going to pay you more because that's the last money you'll ever see out of it. Um, but if you're going to retain your rights, then they're going to be paying you less. A good example for that, and it's like very specific on, on scale of things. So if I do um, if I do a map for a company, whether or not I retain art rights has a lot to do with the size and scope of that company. If I do it for say uh, you know. Uh, maybe Pelgrim, but I'm not sure. But like for a lot of small, smaller companies, uh, like if I do a map, it will be work for hire. So I will produce a map, they will own it entirely, because the only way they're probably even going to pay for me is by selling versions of that map. Whereas if, you know, I, I have friends like Jared Blando and Mike Schlee who do the maps for D&D. D&D doesn't care about maps. They're selling books and miniatures. They don't want to bother themselves with that. So they say, hey, you can keep the rights and sell them for whatever you want. Uh, and more or less, Mike Schlee has a second job income based on the map prints. So, I mean, he's in a unique situation, but I, like, I don't know. It would be different, I think, for you folks. I don't on, know. Yeah, on the same thing for me, whenever I have anybody do art for any of my games um, or maps or anything where somebody's created something that, that, is, that is visual of some sort, um, I, it is important to me that as the owner of my company, they own the rights to that art because they did the art thing, and I'm going to use the art thing in, for my game, but I want them to be able to, to control their art. And I think part of that comes from I am a creative person who started a company, and I'm like, I want the creative people to own their stuff. So, like... That's, that's all the time we have, folks. Uh, thanks, everybody, thanks so much. much. Feel free to ask us questions out in the wild, too. Like, yeah. Thanks. This should have been a PR panel. Yeah. Well, I was kind of like the, the holy, like, what happens? Like, I was the person who's still in their taste. I was kind of actually worried.